0: I want you this morning to take your Bible and join me in the shortest book in the Bible. Now, all of you are making a beeline to what book? Third John. Now, there are five, one chapter, we'll do a little Bible trivia before I start, a little Bible trivia, five one-chapter books in the Bible. Uh, There are four of them in the New Testament, and there's one tucked away in the Old Testament. Uh, In the New Testament, you've got Philemon. Uh, you've got Jude. You've got 2nd and 3rd John. And then, does anyone know what it is in the Old Testament? Obadiah. Obadiah, a little minor prophet tucked away there in the latter part of the Old Testament. And unfortunately, because these books are so short, uh, they often get overlooked. But I believe one of the most powerful missionary books And a book that contains a powerful missionary challenge is found here in 3 John, where I believe we can raise the question and answer it, are you on mission with God? So 3 John, beginning with verse 1, and I'll read through verse 15 for us this morning. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth, beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth as indeed, you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, and here's the key verse in the book, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Now, it would be so nice if the book ended at verse 8 but it doesn't. Verse nine, I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes who likes to put himself first does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us and not content with that. He refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and he puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. And I won't comment uh, on verses 13 through 15 except here. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and pen. And ink today we might say ah, an email's not adequate uh, a text message won't work uh, dropping a message on Facebook or Instagram that's inadequate no I hope to see you soon and we will talk face to face peace be with you the friends greet you greet the friends every one of them every one of you this morning came into this uh, auditorium with a very valuable possession It's an interesting thing because even though it came with you, it also goes where you don't go. Furthermore, what you think of this very valuable possession may not be at all what other people think of it. I'm talking about your reputation. Every one of us has a reputation. Every church has a reputation. And unfortunately, the reputation that you have is usually developed behind your back because whether you liked or not, people will talk about you And people will form an opinion about the kind of person you are, not so much based upon who you are on the inside because nobody can get there except God. But they will form an opinion on how you act on the outside. Charles Spurgeon was the great Baptist preacher in London in a previous century. And Spurgeon understood how essential our reputation is to the gospel and the cause of Christ. And he said this, The eagle-eyed world acts as a policeman for the church. It becomes a watchdog over the sheep, barking very furiously as soon as one goes astray. So be careful. Be careful of your private lives, and I believe your public lives will be sure to be right. But remember, it is upon your public life that the verdict of the world will very much depend so this morning, I just want to put before you the question, are you on mission with God? And does your public life line up with that question? Now, what we're going to see this morning, as I just read, is three men that drive the argument of Third John. There's a wonderful brother by the name of Gaius, There's a wonderful brother by the name of Demetrius, and there's a not-so-wonderful person by the name of Diotrephes. And in the context of being on mission with God, I think we learn a lot from these three men. So number one, I want to talk to you for a moment about Gaius, a man that I describe as one who had... The right passions Gaius was a man who had the right passions and we see that there are four of them that are very clearly identified in verse 1 through verse 8 number one Gaius was a man who lived spiritually look again at verse 1 and verse 2 the elder here referring to I believe John's age by now John is the last living Apostle He's at least in his 80s. Some believe he may have even been in his 90s. So he's not talking about an elder as an officer of the church. He's basically talking about the fact that he is an older man. He is an aged man. And he writes to someone that he calls Gaius, the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. The idea is I have a genuine and a sincere love and affection for you, my brother. Now, you say, Danny, you characterized him as a man who was living spiritually. Well, verse 2 teaches us that. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, and that you may be in good health. How? As it goes well with your soul. Uh, What we're going to see in just a moment is John has sent out missionaries. And these missionaries have gone out probably from the major city of Ephesus, and they're out in smaller towns, and they are taking the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, as we'll see in just a moment, they come back to the mothership, kind of like this team that just went up to New Jersey, and they give a report about how their missionary work is gone. Well, when they come back, they inform John, Uh, We came across a guy who says he knows you. His name is Gaius. Now, Gaius was a very common name in the first century, but this is a specific Gaius. And so that John says, well, really? Uh, It is this Gaius. Yes, John, it's that Gaius. Well, I led him to Christ. I discipled him. I've always heard that he's a wonderful brother. What's the report? And they're going to say, oh, John, he's every bit of what you thought. He is indeed a godly, godly man. But there's a problem. He's got some physical problems. He's got some illnesses that he has been dealing with lately. And so John gives us, I love this, a one-verse prayer, which is a good reminder, by the way, it is not the length of your prayers that matter to God. It is the sincerity of your heart when you utter those prayers. And so what does John do? John writes back to Gaius, and he says, I'm praying this for you. Now look at it. I pray that all may go well with you, and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. Imagine this morning that someone were to pray that prayer for you, or let's pick on me since I brought it up. You were to pray that prayer for me, and you were to say, Dear Lord, I want you to bless Danny physically to exactly the same degree that he is healthy in his soul. Now, would I be happy about that? Or would I like to say, no, maybe you ought to pray a different kind of prayer for me? Because what if God answered that prayer? Would I suddenly drop dead here in the pulpit? I hope you hope not. Would I suddenly fall out and you'd have to call EMS because I've gone into some kind of cardiac arrest or maybe I've had some other issue that suddenly comes out? Why? Because actually my soul is not very healthy. Well, John had no doubt that he could pray that prayer for Gaius and he'd say, Lord, I want you to bless my brother physically to the same degree that he is healthy spiritually. Now, a good question. How do we know that he is healthy spiritually? Well, three more ideas follow that will make that crystal clear. Secondly, not only is he living spiritually, he's walking truthfully. Look at what it says in verse 3 and 4. I rejoiced greatly when the brothers, these traveling missionaries, came back and they witnessed... They testified to your truth as indeed you are walking in the truth. And then to reinforce what he says in verse 3, he kind of repeats himself, but adds a qualifying statement. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. You see, I said a moment ago that I believe John led Gaius to faith in Christ. And the reason I do is here in verse 4, he refers to Gaius as one of his children, one of his spiritual offspring. Furthermore, John can say of him, I am thrilled to hear that your life is characterized by someone who is walking in the truth. Now, let's unwrap that for just a moment. That's an interesting phrase, walking in the truth. I thought truth is something you know. I thought truth is something you believe. And John would say, it's that, but it's more. Truth is not only something you believe, truth is something that you live. Some of you that are in my age bracket might remember the name Vance Habner. Vance Habner was a North Carolina evangelist, an unbelievably gifted, witty kind of man. Interestingly, he never learned to drive. Had to be driven everywhere he ever went throughout his entire preaching ministry. Lived to be into his 90s. And Dr. Havner again had unbelievable wisdom and wit. And Dr. Havner used to say this. What you live is what you really believe. Everything else is just religious talk. What you live is what you really believe. Everything else is just religious talk. When I had just been in the ministry a couple of years, I was serving a church in Dallas, Texas, and we had a minister of worship, a minister of music, and he was a nice guy, Uh, wasn't very spiritual, but he was a nice guy, Uh, but every now and then, up on the pulpit, you know, I I was playfully saying to Caleb a moment ago and to uh, Larry, you know, Jerry Vines used to say when it comes to worship, uh, preachers ought to preach and musicians ought to sing, and preachers ought not to sing and musicians ought not to preach. Well, y'all are blessed. Y'all have uh, two guys that can do both. So my goodness gracious, you are definitely blessed to have musicians that can sing and preach. Well, sometimes musicians will get up and they'll begin to talk a little bit more than they ought to. And on this particular occasion, uh, this brother did, and he made this very foolish statement. He said, you know, all that really matters in terms of what we do is what we do on Sunday morning, right here during this hour. The other six days of the week don't matter at all. All that matters is what we do right now, this morning. And folks, I want to be unkind to my friend who's now in heaven, but that's a very stupid thing to say because the fact of the matter is what you do Monday through Saturday matters just as much, if not more, than what you do on Sunday. And a good question for all of us to ask ourselves is those who know me and know me well, would they say that I am characterized and I am known as a man or a woman or a boy or a girl who is walking in the truth well that's one of the reasons that we can say that gaius was a spiritual man but number three he was also a man who served faithfully verse five and six beloved it is a faithful thing the idea is it's a good thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers strangers as they are i know you didn't know them but they came back to the to the mother church and they testified to your love before the church. So, there'll be more coming. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner that is worthy of God. Now, here's what's going on. John is at Ephesus, and they are sending out missionaries across Asia Minor, which is today modern-day Turkey. By the way, one of the great tragedies of church history. Uh, the early church was strongest in Asia Minor. Today in Turkey, 99% are non-Christian. 99% are devout Muslims. In fact, it's worse than that. Uh, my youngest son, God blessed us with four boys, and my youngest son served as an international missionary with the IMB for a number of years in Istanbul, Turkey. At the time he was there, about 10 years ago, best estimate, best estimate, in a country of 75 million, 4,000 evangelical believers. 4,000 Evangelical believers in a country of 75 million. Do you realize this morning there are more Southern Baptist churches in North Carolina? There's over 4,000. There are more Southern Baptist churches in North Carolina than there are believers in the Lord Jesus in the country of Turkey, which used to be the hotbed of the ancient church. Well, anyway... John sends out these missionaries. Now, in this day, there are no hotels, motels. I stayed very, uh, in a very nice Hampton Inn last night. Uh, they ain't got no Hampton Inns. Heck, they didn't have a Motel 6. So anyway, when you went out, you had a couple of options. Option number one, try to find some family members that you could stay in their home. Option number two, find some friends that might allow you to stay in their home. Or option number three, much like the Lord Jesus did in his public ministry, we're sleeping out tonight in our sleeping bag under the stars and under the moon. Well, these guys went out, and they met this man named Gaius. And Gaius recognizes them as having come from John, and Gaius says, I want to tell you something. You're here for the Lord. You're here to do mission work. My home is your home. My bed is your bed my food is your food and i have no doubt because of what he's going to say in verse 8 my money is your money and so he took them in gave them a place to stay gave them food to eat prayed with them encouraged them and then when he sent them on their way he financially assisted them and john says an amazing thing he says gaius just keep doing what you're doing I wouldn't change anything about your love for the saints and your love for the brothers. The way you're caring for them, the way you're loving for them, just keep on doing what you're doing. I would not change a thing in your life because he was a man who was serving others faithfully. But then number four, he was a man who was also giving generously. Look at verse seven and verse eight. For they, that is these traveling missionaries, these brothers, have gone out for, and it's the only reference to the Lord Jesus in 3 John, they've gone out for the sake of the name, the name under which we must be saved, the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, when they went out, now stay with me, they accepted nothing from the Gentiles. Now, many times in the Bible, the word Gentiles, the Greek word ethne, we get our word ethnic from it. That word usually stands for non-Jews. In other words, in the first century world, at least to the Jews, there were two kinds of people. There were Jews and there were everybody else. And everybody else fell under the category of the Gentiles. So many times it's a word that speaks of ethnicity of non-Jewish people. But that's not how it's used here. Here it's actually used, I believe, to speak of unbelievers. In other words, just like in the uh, Jesus said uh, of people that they are sometimes treated like tax collectors and Gentiles. But what he means by that is they're treated as outcasts from the covenant people of God. So let's go back. These missionaries have gone out for the sake of the name, the name of the Lord Jesus. They accepted nothing from the lost. And folks, hear me well. We do not finance God's work on the backs of lost people, okay? Let me be really clear, and Larry, I think, will agree with this. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, number one, thank you for coming. You honor us by your presence. We're so thankful that you're here. We don't believe you're here by accident. We believe you're here by divine appointment. God intended for you to be here today, all right? Number two, we don't want your money. We don't want your money. You realize in survey after survey in America, when lost people are asked the question, what do you think the church wants from you? The number one answer every time is what? The church wants my what? My money. So we want to be clear. We don't want your money. Well, uh, Brother Danny, Dr. Aiken, I was intending on giving a million dollar check today to Piney Grove. Well, keep it. Keep it. We don't need your money. In fact, we don't want your money. What we do want is you. And here's the deal. We don't need anything from you. We've got something great to give you called the gospel. The fact that Jesus loves you, that Jesus died for all of your sins, and that if you will repent of your sin and put your faith and trust in him, he will save you. Because you see, God's people take care of God's work. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so he says, we didn't take anything from the lost. We didn't act like some other teachers of that day that fleeced people in the countryside. No, no, no. We went out for the sake of the name of the Lord Jesus. We did not ask lost people for a dime. So here it is, verse 8. Therefore, in light of that truth, we ought to support people like these. Why? That we may be fellow workers for the truth. My wife and I, Larry alluded to it a moment ago, have been married for 43 years. Uh, been married since I was 21 and she was 19. Because of what I do at Southeastern, where I've been now almost 18 years, over the last 18 years, uh, we've been in close to 25 countries around the world, going to see missionaries, going to serve missionaries, going to love on missionaries, and yet that's actually not accurate. The fact of the matter is my wife and I have been in every country on the planet we've been in every country on the globe you say well how did you pull that off by our giving by our giving because you see what did he say there when we support these who go we become what fellow workers for the truth so when you give to bless this brother in Wales you go to Wales when you and I give through the Lottie Moon Christmas offering and through the cooperative program we go to every single country on the planet that's why I always say most of us in this room let's just be honest most of us in this room including me will never be international career missionaries okay that's not God's calling on our life now I pray that God would raise up some international missionaries from this church but that's not God's calling for most of us but here's the deal everybody in this room God calls you to pray for the nations and God calls you to give To reach the nations and God then calls us to enable those he does call to go to the nations, and they can't go if we don't give and so I want to encourage you not just today but I want to encourage you be a generous giver be a generous giver be a generous giver to your church be a generous giver to reach North America be a generous giver to reach the nations with the gospel let me add one thing this is for free think about putting the work of the Lord in your will. Think about putting the work of the Lord in your will. You say, wow, I've never thought about that. Well, I'd never thought about it until about 15 years ago. And I was at a Bible conference and a brother got up and said, you know, when I die on the day of my death, I'm going to make the largest gift of the work of the Lord that I will ever make in my lifetime because I've got the work of the Lord in my will. And I thought, what a great idea. I mean, what a great idea. You say, well, Brother Danny, I'm going to leave all my money to my kids. Well, why would you do that? They're probably going to waste it. Probably ain't going to spend it the way you want them to. I mean, I'm going to bless my kids when I die, if they behave themselves, and and they make sure they take care of me in my old age. But I've told them, listen, you don't take care of me And I'm cutting you out, and I'm coming back to haunt you too, so you just need to understand, you better be nice to your your daddy when I get older and can't do anything about it. But no, I'm not just leaving something to my kids. We're leaving 25% of whatever we have to Southeastern Seminary when we die. And I don't say that to brag. I just say that to say, I really believe in the work of the Lord. I really do believe in reaching the nations. I really believe that God's work is the most important thing thing in all the world so one of the ways we can be a blessing to those who go is leave your something in your will to your church leave something in your will to the International Mission Board or the North American Mission Board or Southeastern Seminary or some other ministry that you believe in that's reaching people with the gospel but think about it I can make the greatest gift to the work of the Lord I ever made on the day I die by the way I think when you get to heaven the Lord Jesus will be smiling about that. Now, as I said a moment ago, I wish the book ended here, but it doesn't. And so if Gaius is a man with the right passions, there's this scallywag, uh, to use a Danny Aiken phrase, there's this scum-sucking dog by the name of Diotrephes. And if Gaius was a man with the right passions, Diotrephes was a man with a harmful agenda. And look at it there in verse 9 and verse 10. John says, I've written something to the church. By the way, that's probably a lost letter. I don't think he's referring to 2 John. I don't think he's referring to 1 John. It's probably a private letter that God did not inspire, and therefore it's not preserved. But I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, now watch this, who likes to put himself first. Some translations have it, Diotrephes, who likes to have the preeminence. By the way, in Colossians chapter one and verse eighteen, Paul tells us in all things there's one person who is to have the preeminence, and his name is Jesus. Diotrephes wants the same place in the church that rightly belongs only to Jesus. He was a man with prideful, prideful ambition. But secondly. He was a man who would not submit to proper authority. Not only does he like to put himself first, second part of verse 9, he does not acknowledge our authority. Now, whose authority is John talking about? His. His. Can you believe it? This diatrophies cat would not even respect the authority of the last living apostle by the name of John. Imagine this. If your your pastor was able to pull this off, Just, just use your imagination. This is a day where we're emphasizing missions. And so by some miracle, he's allowed by God this one time to have as your special preacher this morning, the Apostle John. Not Danny Aiken, the Apostle John. Now, don't you be humble, I want you to be honest. How many of you think if the Apostle John were preaching here this morning, not, not me, but John, there'd be more people here. All of you think that. My Lord, you wouldn't meet here because this place would not be big enough. In fact, there's no church anywhere in the state of North Carolina that would be big enough. I think we'd probably have to see if we could check out NC State or USC Chapel Hill and see if they'd let us borrow one of their stadiums. And I'll be honest with you, folks, if I, you know, you got these Duke, any Duke fans in here? Okay, God will forgive you. No, I'm just playing, I'm just playing. But, you know, those guys camp out weeks to get tickets to, what? not their football team, by the way, but their basketball team. I would camp out for a month to get a seat. If the Apostle John were going to be here today, who would not be here? Diotrephes. Diotrephes would say something like this. He's an old man. He's a has-been. He's kind of senile now, isn't he? We don't need him, and he would not even recognize the authority of the last living apostle. By the way, Diotrephes types always reject rightful authority in the local church because they have a me, myself, and I agenda. They want to be first. They're driven by prideful ambition, but also they will do whatever they have to to further their agenda, including, including lying. Verse 10, if I come, John says, and he, the implications, I will, I'll, I'll bring up what he's doing. He's talking wicked nonsense against us. Some translations say he is lying maliciously against us. In other words, Diotrephes did not let the truth get in the way of his agenda. If I have to lie about people and misrepresent people to get what I want, so be it. You say, Danny, people in the church would never act like that. I wish that were true. But I've been in ministry now for over 40 years. I've lived too long and seen too much to know that sometimes tragically, Diotrephes types worm their way into churches and they will lie and misrepresent to get what they want. But it gets worse than that. Diotrephes are bullies who mistreat other people. The last part of verse 10, and not content with talking wicked nonsense, he refuses to welcome the brothers, the missionaries. No missionaries in our church. And not only that, he stops those who wants to. In fact, not only that, he has such authority and such influence he puts them out of the church he excommunicates people who want to welcome missionaries into their fellowship and you hear me and hear me well i don't sense it because i just i watch when i come to a church uh, i listen to the talk before church begins i watch how people interact with one another i listen to the pastor and your associate pastor, uh, pastor of youth and how they talk about you and uh, best I can tell, there may be one, you know, they, 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 maybe they don't know, but I don't recognize any Diotrephes types in this church. And for that, I say, praise God. I'm going to tell you something. The diatrophies will suck the Great Commission passion out of a church. The Diotrephes won't encourage you to go on trips to New Jersey. The diotrophies won't encourage you to help a church suffering in Nashville. They won't encourage you to work with a missionary in Wales. They won't encourage you to give to Lottie Moon and Annie Armstrong and to sacrifice to reach the nations with the gospel because all they are concerned about is themselves. And they will suck the Great Commission life out of a church. Well, I'm glad that the book doesn't end here because John concludes with a word about another really good guy, a guy by the name of Demetrius. And if Gaius was a man with the right passions and Diotrephes is a man with a harmful agenda, Demetrius is a man with a good testimony. And look at it as we close. Verse 11, beloved, don't imitate. We get our word mimic from that word. Don't mimic evil, but mimic good. Well, why, John? Well, there's a very basic... Theological truth. Whoever's life is characterized by the good that comes from God and flows out of the gospel, whoever does good gives evidence that they are from God. But whoever's life is characterized by evil, they give evidence they've never even seen God. I've been asked many times when I've taught on 3 John, uh, Danny, you think Diotrephes was a Christian? You think John thought Diotrephes was a Christian? And here's my answer. I think John would say, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't know a man's heart. Only God does. But What I do know is this. His life, his actions, his reputation, he doesn't live much like a Christian. And by the way, keep it in contact. He's a church member. Not only that, he's an influential church member. And you see, John understands, listen to me, we all have heroes. We all have role models. We all have people we look up to, and sometimes we can look up to and and admire the wrong people. Bullies. Narcissists. People are arrogant and condescending and rude, and yet because they have such a powerful personality, We can easily get seduced and swept along. And John says, make sure you have the right role models. And he says, I've shown you Gaius. Let me show you one more. Demetrius, verse 12. Demetrius has received a good testimony. And look at this, it's from three sources. Number one, it's from everyone. Goodness gracious. Number two, it's from the truth itself. He walks in the truth too. And number three, we also add our testimony John's following the principle of Deuteronomy chapter 17 verse 6 In chapter 19, verse 15, where it says, every fact is to be confirmed by two or three witnesses. Well, he says there's a threefold witness that testifies to what a good man that Demetrius is. He has a good testimony from everyone, the truth. And I add my testimony, and you know that my testimony is true. I close with that phrase at the beginning of verse 12. He has a good testimony from everyone. From everyone. You say, Danny... Are you telling me that everyone was a Christian that knew Demetrius? No, John says everyone. So believers and unbelievers alike. So you're saying that unbelievers loved his Jesus. I'm not saying that. You're saying that unbelievers believed his theology. I'm not saying that. But what are you saying? What I'm saying is even unbelievers had to acknowledge and admit this man's talk and this man's walk, they match up. This man is a man of integrity. This is a man that I would trust guarding my back in a foxhole. This man, as was said earlier, who calls at 2 o'clock in the morning, knows that Demetrius would be there by 2.15. That's what the whole world said about Demetrius. You say, have you ever known anybody like that? I've known a few. I've known a few. And one of them was a farmer who attended a church very much like this, although your church is much bigger than the church that this man attended. Well, who in the world are you talking about? I'm talking about my granddaddy. My granddaddy, Galloway, had a fifth grade education, lived a very hard life. He was a very simple farmer in Douglasville, Georgia. My granddaddy died when I was uh, 14 years old. Ten years later, when I was about 24, 25, I was invited to go back and speak at the Victory Baptist Church in Dovesville, Georgia, where if you were to go there today, still a little church, up on the hill behind that church is a small graveyard. And in that graveyard is my granddaddy, my grandmother, my dad, and my mama. They're all buried there. So I get invited to go back to Victory Baptist Church and preach after a decade when my granddaddy had died. And that morning when the pastor introduced me, he didn't do like Brother Larry did, but he said, well, this morning... We're really honored to have as our preacher, quote, Mr. Galloway's grandson. Then he said, oh, his name is Danny Aiken." as an afterthought, which I was an afterthought, because he said, how many of you in this church, and I think the church at that time ran maybe 70, how many of you remember Mr. Galloway? And amazingly, almost every hand went up. And the pastor said, Charlie Galloway was a man of God, wasn't he? Yeah. He was the kind of man that when you called, he was there just like that, yes. And he was a man who walked with Jesus, yes. And he's a man who loved the Bible, yes. And he was a man who loved the nations, yes. And he was a man who had a good testimony from everybody. And brothers and sisters, if you really are on mission with God, even people who disagree with you, we'll have to at least acknowledge there's a man, there's a woman who walked with God. The evidence is absolutely undeniable. And brothers and sisters, that's the kind of man and the kind of woman that will indeed be on mission with God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this church that I do believe is on mission with you. Lord, they're reaching out to uh, touch the country of Wales. And Lord, at one time, Great Britain was so Christian, but today it is so pagan. Wales, Scotland, Ireland, England, uh, so pagan, so lost. The gospel is so desperately needed there. And I'm thankful that you've raised up a missionary to go there, one of our graduates. And you've also put that uh, area on the heart of this church. And I thank you, Lord. That seeing people in need in New Jersey. Most of them probably unbelievers. They took the time and the expenditures to go and to minister and care for them in their time of need. And I thank you, Lord, that they love this church in Nashville and they've gone through a difficulty in recent days. And uh, Lord, we're reaching out from this church to love them well and to care for them because we want to love well the brethren. And we recognize, Lord, that we become fellow workers for the truth when we give as they go. So Lord, I pray that this church indeed will be so madly in love with the Lord Jesus, that their heart is the same as his. And your word teaches us that he came to seek and save that which is lost and therefore lost people here uh, in Williamston, lost people, Lord, here in North America, Lord, lost people here around the world May they be on the heart of this church as they minister faithfully from this place for the good of all peoples and for your great glory. We ask and pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.